So it's the 28th of June, 2021. So to talk about the matters of the practice. When we practice together as we do, what's the purpose of that? Why do we need to practice the Dhamma? We see that some people are born into the world and they have quite an easy life. Um, they have all of the four requisites, the kind of necessities for life, um, in a complete state. They're not lacking these things. Um, but still, they have this suffering within them. And maybe people have this dukkha, the suffering or stress within them, but they're not so aware of that. Well, they see it, but they don't really see it in line with its truth. And um, so it's not the case that being born and having everything that we need, um, that we just won't experience any suffering. And because the causes for that suffering are still there, and sometimes we can create a lot of those causes. And so when we get many things, then oftentimes there's fear. We have um, all the things externally in a state of completion, but there's this knowledge within us that we'll need to be separated from those things, from all the things that we like, or the things that we love, we find pleasing. And this nature of separation is the noble truth of suffering. That when we have people that we love, our mothers and fathers, brothers, sisters, children, friends, um, that we'll need to be separated from these. And so when we're young, we go to study, and we may succeed at our studies and then get a good job. But life is not sure. And it's possible that someone we love or ourselves can suddenly get ill or suddenly pass away. And we really experience this suffering at that point. So when the suffering arises, then those people who have barami, who have spiritual maturity, then they'll try to seek a path out of that suffering. And so we come to study the teachings, the Dhamma, of the Buddha. Because the Buddha taught regularly um, about the suffering, and that suffering is caused by attachment to the five khandhas. This is what gives rise to this dukkha. And old age, sickness, and death is suffering. Being separated from what we like and love is suffering or having to be with people who we don't like, this too is suffering. Or perhaps there are things which this knowing element, this mind, desires, but we don't get those things, and that brings up suffering. So therefore we need to be very cautious around these desires, um, and especially if they're excessive, and we need to know a sense of enoughness, um, because if we have this desire and our desires exceed the merit that we've created and the barami that we've created, then that's likely to bring up a lot of suffering for us. 
Because all things, in order for them to arise, they need their causes and conditions. If we want to be very rich, for example, we need the merits that we've created in the past for that to be possible. And we also need to create new merits as well. And we need the wisdom there to be able to seek out this wealth in the right way. And even if we get much external wealth, we need to also understand that this is just external wealth, something that we depend upon to survive. But there's also the inner wealth, the wealth of the heart. And so what is this? And what nourishes our hearts? Well, the food for our hearts is the Dhamma. And this um, Dhamma, it gives us knowledge about the truth. So the Buddha taught that when we see suffering like this, the appropriate response is to find a path out of that suffering. And so we come to practice. And maybe initially we may study study the scriptures, study the teachings, um, and we gain some kind of understanding through that. But it's important to put that into practice as well, that we don't just study, but rather we use that for our practice. Because sometimes if we don't get much of this theoretical knowledge, then there may not be much understanding. But what's important is that once we gain that, we don't attach to it. That that's simply not right if we cling on to that. We need to know how to put it down and to just go and practice. So one example is the factors for jhana, vitaka, uh, uh, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada. And so we may study this in the scriptures, that these factors for jhana, and gain one kind of understanding about it, that there is this vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada. But when we experience these really directly in the practice, um, then what we experience can be something quite different. And what's written is actually correct, but it's just the interpretations that people give to it that can be false. So vitaka and vichara, for example, this isn't thinking. And some people get the idea that they sit in meditation and they think about things and then their minds get quite peaceful and at ease and um, they feel this inner state of ease and that there is piti and sukha, this joy and happiness. And then there's some form of kind of collectedness and they understand that that's ekakada. And so even though this is just kanaka, samadhi, this minor form of samadhi, they understand that it's the first jhana that they've reached. Um, But that's not correct. So what the factors of vitaka and vichara are, are more knowledge rather than thinking. So we take up an object, and then we sustain the mind with that object. The breath, for example, and uh, using the word buddho along with the breath, And we just carry on with that, um, picking up this object of the breath and this mantra buddho and keeping the mind with it until eventually buddho just disappears or by itself. 
And then there's simply knowledge of the breath, the in-breath, the out-breath. We carry on doing this until the mind reaches stillness. And there's this inner sense of contentment, of joy that arises within the heart. And so this then is piti and sukha. And we just carry on doing it in this way, practicing like this, until we become skilled at it. And perhaps in this state we listen to the Dhamma, and it may be possible for the mind to gather together. And then hearing the Dhamma with the mind gathered together, then we may gain or see the state of reality, something that we've never seen before, even though nature has always been that way. There's always been the state of arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, that all material things, all mental things are this way. They have arising and ceasing as their nature. It's just arising, staying for a bit, passing away. Arising, staying for a bit and passing away. And this happens constantly. But it's just we don't see it happening. Our eyes see something. And we've seen many things since we were born. We've been born and we've seen many people grow old. We've been seen many people go sick, develop illnesses. But it's just our eyes that see this. But we don't see it with wisdom. It's not true seeing. We see it and then we feel afraid. We don't want to be that way ourselves. We don't want to get old. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. Or we may see these things and then we get upset. It's sad that we have to be separated from the people that we love like this. So we see these things, but we also don't see these things. We don't perceive them in line with their reality. But if we listen to the Dhamma, and we practice the Dhamma, and this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, of virtue, collectiveness of wisdom, gathers together within the heart, maga comes together, um, then we gain a clear understanding, a clear knowledge. We see clearly. And when we see clearly, what we perceive is the state of the Dhamma arising. And we can see this in everything. You go into a monastery and we see all the buildings, the Dharma halls, the monks' huts, um, different things around us. And what we perceive is just arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, and just that. And we see that the entire world has this arising and ceasing within it. Everything in the world is of that nature. We see that everything in this world has its own lifespan. But before, we just didn't understand that. But when we gain this knowledge in the present moment, then wisdom arises, and we're able to put down all our attachments. And we see that there's no wealth in this world. There's no valuable or precious thing that is equal to the jewel of the Buddha, the jewel of the Dhamma, the jewel of the Sangha. This just doesn't exist in the world. And in seeing that, then we really enter into uh, the triple gem. And we do that through seeing the Dhamma. So initially we pay respects to the triple gem and take this triple refuge uh, by reciting Buddhang Saranangachami, Dhammang Saranangachami, Sankang Saranangachami, and then a second time, a third time. 
I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge in the Dhamma, I go for refuge in the Sangha. So this is the initial stage. But next we actually see the state of Dhamma clearly for ourselves. And joy, happiness, this fullness arises within the heart. And no matter what posture we're in, we maintain the state of inner joy, of inner fullness. And this is something which we've never known before. We've never seen anything or experienced anything like this before. And all our doubts are relieved. Because this is what the Buddha taught. The Dhamma that he taught is that all things have this nature of arising, staying and ceasing. And we don't have any doubts because we've seen this clearly for ourselves within our own hearts. Initially in the practice there can be a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. We just simply don't know what to do, we don't know how to proceed with the practice. But the monks that we listen to, they teach us to have a lot of mindfulness and to just carry on practicing, to keep the five precepts regularly, to be generous, to be moral, to listen to the Dhamma, and to keep these five precepts, and on occasions we can keep the eight precepts. And so we just carry on doing this and practicing until we see the state of the Dhamma appear clearly for us. And then this true faith arises, and we really set our hearts on this practice in a way that we don't need to force, we don't need to control ourselves to do that. And we have this faith in generosity, this faith in creating merit continuously, because um, our hearts are just filled up, overflowing with faith. And like some practitioners, um, they have this faith to practice constantly. And what this shows us is that they have this old barami there already, and they have a lot of merit to them already. So there's this faith within our hearts, um, this devotion towards the Buddha, devotion to be generous, to have a sense of self-sacrifice. When we gain wealth, then we give that to others, we share that with others. And um, this creates an inner wealth, merit within our own hearts. We have this generosity, we have virtue, a sense of collectedness and restraint over actions of body and speech. And then we come to care for our hearts, we bring them into a state of peace. And so we don't harm anyone else, we don't harm each other. And we have kindness and compassion for each other instead. And this brings about peace. Peace within ourselves, peace within our families, within our societies, within our countries, throughout the entire world. And if all the people in the world have this quality of kindness and compassion, then the world will be a very peaceful place. And we won't need to create any weapons. Rather, what we do is we create the weapon of the Dhamma, which means that we have virtue and we have kindness. But the world in its present state, it's not like this. And those countries that have amassed great amounts of weapons and have this kind of great strength in terms of its army, um, they are the countries which have control over the world. But this is controlling the world through defilement and through craving. So what we need to do is we need to have this weapon of the Dhamma. And this is a very important weapon that we use to govern our own hearts.
So when we see the state, the nature of the Dharma clearly, then our faith becomes unshakable, becomes firm. Our faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And we gain this sincere devotion towards the practice. And we see clearly that all the things of the world, um, they do have value to them, but that value is just conventional value. What we see has true value is the Dhamma, seeing the truth. And we see that all life, that the lives of all beings are gaining, getting closer and closer towards separation, towards the final day. And there was one arahant, one foremost disciple of the Buddha, and a king asked him, how did you gain, or what was it that enabled you to be able to ordain in the Buddha-sasana? And he offered his answer to the king. He said that the world leads itself, um, that no one else can control it or lead it, that it's pulled along by old age, sickness and death. And that there's nothing in this world which is constant, that everything is changing. And that we need to leave everything behind. We need to abandon everything. Which means that no one wants to leave these things behind. No one wants to go, but everyone needs to go. And it's similar to if we live in a rented house. So this is a house which we don't own. And one day the owner of the house comes and asks for their home back. And following the laws of the land, we're simply not able to stay on there. If we do, we'll get sent to prison. And so we have to give the house back. Because we don't own it, so we have to leave. So these bodies of ours, they're a kind of a house that the mind resides in. And we need to leave this body at some point. And it's true for all of the things in this world. That when we leave this body, that we need to leave everything in this world behind. And so the world is unsatiated. It's always in a state of hunger. And what does that mean? Well, it means that the mind always has this craving in it. It's always hungry, it's never full. It doesn't know a sense of enoughness. It never feels like anything is enough. Because it's a slave. It's under the control of its craving. Of this craving and clinging. So if we see things like this clearly, we really see that we must be separated from everything in this world. And that we must meet with death for sure then we understand that it's not appropriate to seek out the things of the world, but rather what we should do is practice. And practice in order to find an ability to find the most noble, the highest thing, which is the Dhamma. Because if we see the Dhamma, then what we gain is an inner joy, a sense of fullness, a contentment in our heart that we've never experienced before. This can fill up the heart for three days and nights, or for some people it's seven days and seven nights, if there's a lot of energy behind it. And we see clearly that 
um, none of the things in this world have any true value to them. And through seeing that, we've firmly set our hearts on the practice and we put everything down in order to seek out the Dhamma, in order to see the Dhamma, in order to find a way out of suffering. Because we've seen the danger in the cycle, we've seen suffering, and so we find a path that takes us out of that. And whether we're from overseas or whether in Thailand, and we try to find a path. And if we're able to do that, that shows that we have Bharami. It shows that we have the spiritual maturity. And so it's, um, at least in Thailand, it's relatively easy to be able to find a good teacher. Um, it's not all that difficult to come to a monastery to meet with the, uh, to meet with Buddhism once we've seen the drawbacks in Sangsara. But this also depends upon our Bharami as well. And um, if the Bharami isn't so much, then it can be difficult. And so I was very fortunate um, myself to have met with Arahants and Bodhisattvas to be able to be close to Lumpucha and to be one of his disciples. And he taught me the fundamentals of the practice. He taught me about generosity, about virtue, and about training the mind, not allowing the mind to go into liking or into disliking. And just to carry on doing this until a sense of fullness and joy arises. And so I experienced this, this sense of inner rapture, uh, no matter whether I was standing, sitting, walking, or lying down. And it really filled up the heart for the entirety of one month. And it was really amazing. And I wondered like, how that was even possible. Because normally, when I sat in meditation, it could take quite a long time before feeling the sense of inner satisfaction and contentment. But if we just carry on doing it, we do it day after day without stopping, then in the end we will meet with this great inner peace, a sense of inner stillness, and then this joy and happiness arises. The mind settles into peace and we gain an understanding. And we have this mindfulness looking over the mind, able to abandon the clinging and attachment within it. And in the state, it's something that's quite easy to do. Abandoning a sense of self, it's something quite easy, it's not difficult. So therefore, all of us should really be intent in this way. We have this faith already. And perhaps we're from Thailand, or perhaps some monks have come from overseas. Uh, but we come together to practice, to practice this path of um, virtue, of collectedness, and of wisdom in this way. So we should just carry on doing this and not become dejected or disheartened. And if we carry on, then we will see the truth. We will meet with true inner peace. So may all of you set your hearts in this way.